0: Hey, insightful ones, it's Ali here, ready to delve into another mysterious case with you all this week. Joining me is my co-host, Charlie. How are things on your side of the world this week?
1: Everything's going great. We had a great week for our podcast, so I'm really excited to get this episode going.
0: Yes, thanks to Justin of Generation Y for the shout out. We appreciate that so much. Okay, so this week the case is a bit different from the ones we have been discussing over the last couple of weeks. This week is an unsolved murder with a lot of twists and turns and some very far out there theories. This week we are discussing what happened to the Jameson family. So to start us off, why don't we discuss the main players here, the Jameson family themselves. So first we have the father and the husband. We have Bobby Dal Jameson and he was 44 years old at the time they disappeared. He was suffering from severe back pain from a car accident he had in 2003. I heard some of the details from the car accident. It seems that it was a pretty severe one, and he was hit by two different cars. Apparently he had chronic constant pain throughout his body, and he was taking a whole heap of painkillers just to cope with daily life. I also believe he was collecting some sort of disability social security payment, and so was his wife.
1: Yeah, he was on social security disability for his car accident and his back issues. He really couldn't work very much at all or do a lot of things that required him to stand a lot. I could not find why his wife was on social security disability. You can get it for mental health issues in the U.S. It's not easy. But I mean, maybe that's why she had it. I couldn't find anything about her health other than her mental
0: health. And all the rumors, and a lot of this is rumors that we'll get to, but all the rumors are that it was because of her mental health issues. So his wife and the mother of their daughter was 40-year-old Sherilyn Leanne Jameson. Now, as we said, unfortunately, Sherilyn was dealing with severe depression. She also had bipolar disorder. And she was taking medication for them. But from what I have read, their extended family have commented that Sherilyn wasn't the best at remembering to take this medication.
1: One of her friends said she got on that cycle that people get on where they take it and they feel better. So they stop taking it and then they swing back. And it happens very frequently with people with bipolar because when they're depressed, they'll start taking it and start feeling better. But then they can swing into manic when they stop taking it. So it's, I mean, it's very important that they take the medication, even if they feel like they're feeling better.
0: Yeah. And the problems with bipolar is the highs and the lows are very severe. Yes. I did not see anywhere where it said if she had bipolar
1: one or two. However, from the descriptions, it sounded like she had very, very extreme poles. Yes. And we'll talk about some other things later that make me believe that her bipolar was Fairly severe.
0: Yes. And they have found some journals and letters of hers. You can't access them online because they haven't been released for public viewing or anything. So I've, I haven't read them. But apparently she wrote some things that might make people think that her marriage wasn't in the best place. There have been some mention from Sherilyn's friends that the couple may have been in the beginnings of a legal separation and also some things that might make people think that maybe she had something to do with their disappearance, but we'll get more into that in a little bit. And finally, we have their daughter, Madison Stormy Star Jamieson, who was six years old at the time she disappeared. She was in kindergarten, but from what I've read, she was still enrolled in elementary school, but her parents were in the early stages of preparing to homeschool her after they had moved. Now, essentially, their plan was to move out of their house they were living in and move out into a place in the woods. They had planned to keep their house in Sandy Bass Bay as a rental, but they wanted to buy 40 acres of land just outside Red Oak, Oklahoma, in the Sand Boys Mountains, which is about 30 miles away from where they were living at the time. And they wanted to live in a big converted shipping container that they had recently purchased.
1: Yeah, my brother and sister-in-law are actually converting a shipping container into a tiny summer house for them up in the mountains in Vermont, actually about 15 minutes from where Maura Murray went missing. I know I've read a lot of people making a big deal about, well, if they were going to get a divorce, if their marriage was so rocky, why were they buying this property? Why were they making plans to move? Yeah. It doesn't strike me as all that odd. I mean, they have to write in self-help books, don't have a baby to save your marriage, don't make a big life choice to save your marriage. It kind of sounds to me like they were doing this almost as a chance to start over and maybe even start their marriage over a bit. It doesn't strike me as odd at all that people who are on the verge of separation are trying to do something together start over,
0: And what you said about a fresh start, and we'll get to more of this later on, but there was a lot going on around where they were living as far as the house goes and neighbours and other problems that were going on. So it would have given them a chance for a fresh start out by themselves with no one else around to bother them. So anyway, finally, Sherilyn had an older son, Colton Magnum, who was 15 years old at the time they disappeared. Colton was from Sherilyn's previous marriage, and he had recently reconciled with his father, Billy Magnum. Now, there is some murkiness here with custody and child support family law issues, but Billy had been recently granted full legal custody of Colton. Apparently, this change of custody was causing Sherilyn some distress. However, from what I've read, there doesn't seem to be anything sinister from Billy being given custody of Colton.
1: Now, in the U.S., in family court, once a child is 12 or 13, they get a very big say in who has custody. Yeah. So if he decided he wanted to go live with his dad, he made a statement that shortly before he went to live with his dad, his mom was very depressed and acting kind of weird. He, and if he had just more or less reconciled with his dad, he may have wanted a, you know a new start. And so it's really, it doesn't kind of, it doesn't really surprise me. He wouldn't have had to prove that Sherilyn was unfit to get custody necessarily when the child's 15. He can more or less say, yeah. I want
0: to live with my dad and the judge will approve it. And I'll keep on being mysterious, but there was a lot going on inside the house. We have to build suspense, guys, so hang in there. We promise there's some crazy <laughs> stuff coming. So all that would lead me to believe, look, if I was a 15-year-old boy... Because I have been before, um, it would <laughs> it would kind of make me want to go live somewhere else, more settled and stable. Right. Okay. So all this leads us up to October eight two thousand and nine, and this is one of the very few unsolved crimes where the authorities did have some kind of video footage to work off, to see the movements leading up to what happened. Do you want to talk more about the home security footage, Charlie?
1: Yes. The Jamesons had security cameras at their home. And from what I understand, both cameras were facing the driveway. Yes. Now, Bobby's mom said she had bought them for when she was she moved in with them right after separating from Bobby's father. And Bobby and his wife kept them even after she moved out. Because there was an ongoing conflict with the father, and we'll delve into that in a little bit more detail later. On the day we're talking about, the day they went missing, the cameras picked up the Jameson family as they loaded their truck to leave for the day. So that sounds pretty normal. They were heading to Red Oak to look at their property, to look at possibly more than one
0: property. Yeah, I did read they were looking at two properties.
1: I kept reading inconsistent statements on that. So a lot has been made and interpreted of their actions on this recording. So while the entire thing isn't available online, you can see clips of various parts of it on programs about their disappearance.
0: If you watch the Disappeared program on the Jameson family, you do get short clips of the footage.
1: There were some things that were very specifically noted as odd in this video. The first thing was that the family did not appear to interact with each other at all when passing in the driveway, even though the parents each made like 20 trips to the car and it was only 20 minutes of them loading the car. So they were just going pretty much from the house to the car, from the house to the car without looking at each other or stopping to talk at all.
0: And I find this interesting, if they were only looking at the property, they hadn't purchased it, why were they packing so much stuff in the car?
1: It really wasn't so far that they were even planning to be gone for the night. So I'm... That was 30 miles. Right. So I'm unsure. I mean, you get a couple of drinks and some snacks and a change of clothes for the kid and you're done. Exactly. I mean, it really... I, I do a lot of road trips and that's a lot of back and forth even for a longer trip. Exactly. The second thing is they seem to be moving in what's been described as a trance-like state, because not only were they not interacting with each other, they would sometimes stop and stare off for a bit before continuing to load the truck. Third, they would load and unload the same items. So it wasn't the usual clearing out of a truck and then reloading it that we all have to do before trips, or at least people like me who don't keep their cars clean. These items... Items that were taken from the truck were had just been put in the truck, and then they'd be taken out again. Fourth, one notable item that was placed in the truck was a brown briefcase or possibly a satchel, and just kind of put a pin in that one because that's going to come up later. Yeah, and there is a theory about the satchel, but yeah, we'll get
0: into that later.
1: And fifth, there were some costume changes. Between their appearances on the screen, the parents had changed their clothes more than once. Yes. So the sheriff had a psychologist look at the video, and the conclusion reached by the video was that they appeared that they were on drugs. Meth is a major problem in rural Oklahoma. So, Allie, what are your thoughts on the
0: video? Look, you know what? Both Sherilyn and Bobby both struggled with depression, and their families have stated as much. I would say that depression would also get the results of what you see in the video, Or alternatively, maybe they just had a big fight and they weren't talking to each other. They were both obviously going through a rough patch with some family issues. They had marriage problems, a big move was on the cards, and they also had a small child. Look, Moving is stressful at the best of times, let alone with all these other factors thrown in. We don't see the whole story. We don't see what's going on inside the house. So we really don't know what this footage means, if anything, really.
1: Right. The silent treatment between a couple that are having marital problems doesn't really strike me as that odd. And even the remove putting things in and removing them. I don't know if like Bobby puts something in and then Bobby himself removes it or if Bobby's putting it in and Sherilyn is passive aggressively removing it and they're just kind of having a passive aggressive silent treatment argument. Exactly. I mean, Not mature, but not sinister either.
0: Exactly. Bobby could have put something in the car and Sherilyn could have been, what are you doing that for? And then just taking it back out again. Right. And
1: I mean, as far as the drug use goes, both of the parents had lost weight shortly before the disappearance. However, the police found no signs of meth use in the house or the truck and absolutely no signs of meth production. Weight loss could have been due to all the marital stress. I've had friends go through divorces and every one of them has lost weight and every one of them calls it the divorce diet because you're just so stressed out. Exactly. Bobby also had a bad back from that accident and took pain medication. We don't know how much he took that day. Um, We don't know if Sherilyn was on or off her medication. If he was zoned out on narcotic painkillers and Sherilyn was in a major depressive episode. I mean, that kind of explains a lot of the behaviors that would make people kind of think they were high. And I know that's mashing a few pieces together and speculating a bit, but had there been any evidence of Matthews, I'd have been ready to just go ahead and say that, but they found nothing, no drugs, no paraphernalia, and I mean, no, they didn't even report that they found too much pseudofed
0: in the house. I guess the brown, missing brown satchel, I mean, it was never found, I guess that could have been their drug kit. I mean, no one really knows what was in it, so that is always the chance that that could be the case. That's true. From the
1: inside of the truck and how cluttered it was, that would be a really very neat thing if they kept all their (laughs) their meth very handy. But I mean, if they were responsible parents, maybe they did keep it in, they would keep it in something that the kid couldn't have gotten into. Yes. But... From my understanding of meth, and I lived in Oklahoma where they ran anti-meth commercials all the time, it doesn't make you zoned out. It's a stimulant. Exactly. Meth users here in the Midwest, we call them tweakers because of their constant movement and action. They're constantly tweaking everything. So, I mean, this kind of explains the million trips to and from the car, but it doesn't explain the zoned out part. So I kind of find the explanation of this being drug use, kind of inconsistent.
0: And there was also some rumors floating around online that maybe Sherilyn's mother cleaned up the house prior to the police searching it. I can't find anything to substantiate that rumor. So really, I take it at face value, but that rumor is out there. I mean, there
1: were days between when they went missing and people started really looking for
0: them. About a week.
1: Yeah, about a week. So it's possible that someone did go in and try to clean up the evidence of the math.
0: But again, another rumor to put on the pile of rumors that this story is.
1: Yes, I, I would say the most work in this story was trying to dig out what was actually coming from authorities or even just from the family and what was really idle gossip.
0: And online, there were people posing as family and friends of the family. So digging through that and trying to, you know, cross-reference to find out what is the truth and what's not the truth, it was a lot of hard work.
1: Right, because anyone can say they're a family member online, but unless we could find what they were saying online verified in an interview that that is what they've been saying, we had to kick it out. We are giving you some rumors because they kind of fill out the picture a little bit, But we're letting you know that they're just rumours.
0: Yes. So there was also an abandoned truck that sat on the oil well flat just below where the Jameson's lived. The truck had been tagged with graffiti that matched some graffiti that Sherilyn had painted on the shipping container that they kept on the property. It is assumed that Sherilyn did all her artwork in there. And here is where we get into some interesting facts about Sherilyn. It seems that over the course of her dealing with her depression and bipolar disorder, she became comfortable with the thought that if other people thought she was a witch, they would just leave her alone. Her best friend Nikki had commented that after the family disappeared, it was kind of uh, in joke between them that they bought each other witch books and they would leave them in the coffee table in the living room so everyone could see it. And Sherilyn also had several cats die at one point, and she was convinced that her neighbours had poisoned them. So on the shipping container that they had on their backyard, that they were going to live in in the future, um, Sherilyn had painted messages. They said It said something like, witches don't like their black cats killed or something like that.
1: I mean, these are all really odd behaviors because, I mean, they're going to live in the shipping container. So she spray paints this ridiculous message on the outside.
0: The spray painting on the shipping container, it just seems evidence of her bipolar disorder to me. Right. The kind of impulsive actions and, yeah. There was also, and more of that, there were also some semi-religious statements spray-painted on the shipping container and the abandoned truck. The font and style used was similar to other work that Sherilyn had done, so authorities are pretty sure that this was all done by Sherilyn. Interestingly though, the car was destroyed not long after the Jamesons went missing. So anyway, after packing the truck, the family gets into the truck and makes their way to Red Oak, Oklahoma. The family were last seen near the Paloma Mountains in Latimer County on October 9, 2009 when they spoke to a group of hunters. When they didn't return from their trip, the rest of the family didn't really think that much of it. The Jamesons did have a habit of just disappearing innocently for a few days at a time. So the Jamesons aren't reported officially missing to police until a little over a week from when they were last seen on October 16, 2009. Okay, so searches were conducted in the mountains on October 16 and 17, and they found the truck pretty much straight away. On October 16, and this goes either, this is reported both ways, either people on AVTs or deputies found the truck. The search found the Jamison's truck on a road heading down the mountain. The police report states that the truck looked like as though it'd been forced off the road or was on the edge of the road. However, when you look at the photos of the truck online, really the road looks quite narrow and there's a drop off on both sides. So I'm not sure how they could have reached that conclusion.
1: And this was a big truck. It wasn't a, you know, a little pickup truck. This was a full size pickup truck as well. Yeah. So, I mean, you're picturing that on a rural road that leads to the back of a property, I'm not even sure it was entirely a road or a right of way to get from the road to the property. It, yeah, I I don't know how without it being in the ditch that it looked like it was forced off the road.
0: And I did read a report from a volunteer that went out and helped with the search. And they said that the truck, there was no room to get out of the passenger side of the truck. There was a drop off at least to that side. That, that And that contradicts the police report as well. So the truck was locked so that makes you think that they left the truck willingly but the family was nowhere to be seen. When they searched the truck I believe that they smashed the window for reasons that will become apparent in a minute and in the truck they found both Sherilyn and Bobby's cell phones, a GPS system, their coats, their wallets, IDs and the car keys were still there. The family dog, Maisie, was found in the car. And by this stage, remember, this is a little over a week, Maisie was almost dead from starvation. I think the most interesting item that they found was a big bag stashed under the driver's seat that had $32,000 in cash.
1: And it was really stashed under there because that's also something that gets brought up a lot. It was in a bag, in a bag, shoved under the seat. It was not immediately apparent to anyone that it was
0: there. No, So there really is only one bit of good news from this story is that Maisie survived and the news footage that I've seen, she's currently living with Bobby's mother and she appears to still be alive and healthy. And I just want to bring that up because I know a lot of you out there are big animal lovers like myself and Charlie. So just know that Maisie came out of this okay and she's living a happy life.
1: Yeah, I started, um, when I read this, I started Google, like I opened a new tab and Jameson dog
0: still alive question mark. Yeah, I did the same search for that. <laughs> Cause the poor thing it was a little over a week and she only survived because she ate her own feces and drank, drank her own urine. So that's about the only good news we have for the rest of the episode. <laughs> yeah. It kind of goes big time downhill from here. So the $32,000, it is widely assumed by the Jameson family and friends, as well as the authorities that the money was all part of what Bobby got from the sale of some joint land Bobby's father, who we will definitely get into more in a little bit. So Bobby's father and his wife were getting a divorce, so the land was being sold. Bobby owned half of his father's half, so they split the share, which after all the legal fees and such, totaled around $64,000, of which the $32,000 is what is suspected to be the money that was found under the seat. If you understand how social
1: security disability works in the United States, it's not surprising they kept that in cash. If they put it in the bank, then they have assets and that's looked at when you apply for disability.
0: It works the same here as well. Yeah,
1: Right. So keeping that in cash makes total sense if you don't want to lose your disability payments.
0: And the missing brown satchel... Apparently, there's a theory floating around that it's believed that the remaining $32,000 was in the missing brown satchel. Since this money has never been found and the satchel has never been found, I guess we will never know for sure. And there was rumours floating around that Sherilyn had a serious shopping habit, so that could also explain where the $32,000, the missing $32,000 went.
1: It's actually really amazing how quickly some people can spend a large amount in a series of small
0: purchases. Exactly. And really, $32,000 really isn't all that much money when you look at the big picture. And, you know, as far as the money under the seat goes, I really don't find it all that strange. I mean, as you said, it could have it could affect their Social Security payment. And, I mean, some people just don't trust banks with their money. It's quite possible that Sherilyn and Bobby thought that a cash-only life was best for them. And this is kind of supported by them wanting to live more of an isolated existence.
1: To get off the grid, you have to lose your bank account. You can't have a a traceable bank account to live off the grid. And I've also seen people kind of speculate that maybe they brought the money with them because they were meeting somebody. They found the land online, on online listings. Which, let's be honest, that's how I found my house. But they found the, it on online listings that perhaps they were meeting somebody and they were bringing the escrow money, which 32000 is a huge escrow amount. I mean, I don't know why they would bring that much. But I think they were just kind of off the grid people and they kept their money with them.
0: Now, I saw that theory too when, about them making a deposit on the land that they were going to buy but i don't put that much stock in that myself because look i don't know the procedure of buying land in oklahoma but here in australia i don't understand how the transaction could be legal considering the considering the amount of paperwork that needs to be done before you can purchase a property i mean there's deeds and titles and transfer paperwork and i would imagine rural land that included an oil lease it would only increase that amount of paperwork that was needed
1: yeah when you buy when we bought our house I mean, we've bought a couple of houses now every time we've moved. When we sign our papers, putting in our offer, I mean, we sit down with our realtor and sign a bunch of papers. It's not like we just hand somebody money and they give us a house or they were on contract. We
0: have to actually sign paperwork. I guess we're assuming here that it was a legal transaction. That's true.
1: (laughs) That's true. But I honestly just don't think they were bringing money up there to buy the property yet.
0: And they don't strike me as easy to scam because they had several timeshares in Mexico and around the U.S. So they knew the process of buying a house. Right. Okay. So in the car, they found the cell phones and they looked at Bobby's BlackBerry phone and they found a picture of Madison and it was dated October 8, 2009, which was the day before they went missing. And as we normally do when we discuss visual aspects of cases, we will put this photo up on our Facebook and website pages. So the photo. Some people are suspicious about this photo and they think that it wasn't taken by either Sherilyn or Bobby. In the photo, she's kind of looking off to one side and she has her arms crossed, sort of, kind of. What do you think? When I read a description of the photo
1: before I saw it, I had this image that she was kind of scowling and had her arms crossed really tight in front of her. She doesn't really... I mean, she has them kind of crossed, but they're kind of loose. It looks like a picture that was taken in the middle of someone trying to pose for a picture or...
0: Well, like she's telling a story. It looks like it's, co- it's more candid, not posed. She might be talking
1: or she might be making like a, oh, I don't want to take this picture cheesy smile. Other people think she looks really upset in the photo. Yeah,
0: some people have commented that she seems to be in a defensive pose and she's showing that she's uncomfortable in the situation she is in. Other people seem to think that she may have been prompted to pose like this, that someone is telling her to act like you're happy in the photo. You know, family members have been very vocal about the photo and they say that this is definitely something that Madison wouldn't do. She would never smile like this. They feel like the photo was taken with her in some sort of emotional distress.
1: Which, okay, she just got stuck in a car to drive 30 miles to look at property. And she's six. She's six. She could have been tired or hungry or she was upset because the wind was blowing the wrong way. I mean, this idea that six-year-olds would only be upset under extreme circumstances does not fit with my extensive experience with six-year-olds.
0: I currently have a six-year-old and they get upset because the sky is blue not gray anything could
1: have made her upset and they and everyone says well her her parents wouldn't have taken a picture like that well i'm sure people think that about me too because i don't post the pictures or share the pictures that look like that but for every cute picture i have of my kid i've got 10 that look like that
0: yeah it's funny sometimes to take a photo of them looking cranky or crying because it is kind of cute
1: Right. And so, I mean, they took the picture. Maybe they would have deleted it anyway, and they just didn't get a chance to from their phone. I have ridiculous pictures on my phone. I I delete it when my storage is full, you know. So nothing about that picture strikes me as odd at all in my experience with children. I read someone noted that her clothes don't seem to fit very well. Yes. However, my kids grow and then their clothes don't fit for a week to, like, can get them something else, or they have a favorite shirt that doesn't fit anymore, but they're going to cram themselves into it. I mean, if they're just going to rural Oklahoma to look at property, who cares? what You know, you wouldn't... It's not like she was took her to church looking like that, so I don't find that odd either. No, no. I think the only thing with the picture is the timing of the picture, and so people are trying to look for clues in it, but I really just... I don't think we can
0: make any definitive judgment from it. There's nothing there as far as I'm, I'm concerned. So the authorities were able to trace where the photo was taken. They found her shoe prints and they found the rock formation that is in the background of the photo. So they are very certain where this photo was taken. And unfortunately, this is the last photo of her that exists. Okay, so then we'll move on to the actual search. So they found the truck and then they start looking for the family. Do you want to take it from here, Charlie?
1: If you find an abandoned truck and the family's not there and they left their dog behind, you assume they walked off a bit and got lost in the woods or possibly injured. The terrain in that area is rocky, steep, and difficult. There are crevices, there are caves, there are cliffs, all of that. This difficult terrain also made it difficult to search. So they brought in like a hundred searchers, ATVs, and even a helicopter. They had search dogs. Something that's really interesting with the dogs is they all hit on the same water tower that was nearby. So they drained the tower, and they did not find the family. They didn't find anyone. It's not as though they found a different cadaver. But these were, from what I understand, they gave them items from the car to search. So they weren't just looking for a cadaver. They were specifically looking for the Jameson family scent. So I tried to find the location... From the water tower in relation to the truck into relation to where the family's remains were eventually found, spoiler alert, (laughs) to see if there was like a connection or a route between the truck, the water tower, maybe they stopped there, and then the eventual spot they were found. Uh, Google Maps failed me on this. I couldn't find any of it. It's all very heavily treed. And so I think everything just kind of looks like a blob on Google Maps. After a bit, the search was scaled back. They just got to the point where it was unlikely, if they found the family, that they would have been found alive at this
0: point. And it did rain heavily, like literally immediately after the authorities found the truck. And I mean, you're looking at eight days since they went missing, plus the heavy rain. So there was little to no scent for the the dogs to find anything besides what they found with the water tank.
1: And as it got wetter, it got extremely more Difficult and dangerous for the searchers, and you don't risk lives to look for people who are probably not alive.
0: And we're leading into hunting season as well, so it, I mean, you are looking at danger there too. The
1: searches were conducted for up to about nine months after their disappearance regularly, but they were significantly scaled back after um, the first bit. And like I said, the family was found. But it wasn't until four years after they disappeared. And it was on, like, November 15th or 16th of 2013 that a hunter found remains of three people. They were about 75 feet off of the trail. And the skeletons were incomplete. All three were lying next to each other, face down. And it was two adults and one child. Yes, It took a little while to positively identify them. but. It was assumed early on it was them. One of the hunters who was interviewed for a paper said that he wasn't sure why the remains weren't found before as they were very close to that hunting trail. And, I mean, he found them, just kind of stumbled on them. You know, he doesn't know why a trained search and rescue team wouldn't find them. Putting it into context a distance, it was less than three miles from where the Jameson truck was, but that's three miles as the crow flies, not necessarily three miles to walk there. I mean, there are a few explanations about why they weren't found. We talked about the rough terrain, so take that terrain, dump all that water on it that we talked about. Um, The ATVs were getting stuck in areas, and some areas were just too dangerous for searchers to go. They're mountains, they're steep, one slippery misstep, and a searcher really could have died. So the exact spot may have just been difficult to get to in the early days of the search.
0: And where where they actually found them, we don't know. It may have been cut off because of the weather conditions. They may, have, they may have not actually looked in that spot.
1: It's also possible that the remains had been covered or buried. Think about all that rain again. So what happens when a lot of water hits the side of a mountain? The dirt and mud slides down the mountain. That's a good point. So they may have been slowly but surely uncovered by rain, erosion and animals. The other possibility I found was that the family was either killed and removed from the mountain or they were taken off the mountain alive and then killed. So after the searching died down, the killer returned the bodies. So this is intriguing, but my main issue with it is that the area where they were found is accessible by ATV or foot. They wouldn't have been able to get a car in there. And I, that, I mean, that's a lot of hauling of bodies and a big risk. I'd kind of assume that the murderer would have dumped them somewhere that had easier access and less likely to be spotted. But you know, I'm not a murderer. So who knows? So what do you think about the bodies not
0: being found by the searchers? Well, as I said, at the time they were actually searching, it may have been cut off because there was heavy rain and it was quite dangerous. So we don't know if they actually searched that particular spot. And as far as Someone coming back and re- you know putting the bodies back there as as you said I'm I'm not a murderer either spoiler alert for future episodes but um <laughs> I mean maybe they wanted to return to the scene of the crime I really don't know in this case
1: yeah I really don't think that someone hauled three bodies on an ATV to bury them I do think they were very possibly buried or covered if this was a murder and the spot that they were in was just passed over. This is really dense. I think people, and I see this with a lot of cases where someone goes missing in a heavily wooded area and they're like, oh, well they searched and they didn't find them, therefore they're not there. And that's just not true. Where people aren't perfect, searches aren't perfect, scent dogs aren't perfect. I I just, I don't find it that unbelievable that nobody found them. And I think if nobody did find them in that area, it's because they were covered in some way.
0: And I was reading about the cadaver dogs for another case that we have coming up. And there is a good amount of failure rate with them. Like with the custom dogs, with the drugs, they know what they're smelling, that they know what a drug smells like. But with humans, there is a vast difference in smells. And when in a big open space, there are other factors like wind and rain that can confuse the dogs.
1: So on July 3rd, 2014, the Oklahoma Medical Examiner positively ID'd the remains of the Jameson family. The length of time from the discovery to the remains identification is kind of puzzling to me, but I mean, all three of the skeletons were partial. I don't really know that there was a lot of dental stuff. Sometimes DNA takes a while. I mean, I don't think there's anything nefarious here. And maybe I'm just too used to CSI, where they can do DNA <laughs> testing overnight. But all the items that would identify them were, had been left in the car, and their clothing, particularly if they were natural fibers like cotton, had already been decomposed. The cause of death could not be determined. There was one clue, and it might not even be a clue. Bobby had a hole at the base of his skull. No bullet was recovered. And it's possible that the hole was caused by animals. The hunter who found the body saw the hole and he disagreed that an animal could have caused it, but I don't know his background to know how seriously to take this. I mean, he, he may have just been saying, I can't imagine an animal causing it without actually any expertise. So the lack of a bullet also doesn't really mean a lot because if it went through, who knows where it landed? I mean, it could be in the dirt, it could be down the rocks, it could be washed away. So lack of bullet doesn't really mean anything. So there was a hole at the base of one of the skulls and who knows what caused it.
0: And I read that he was a deer hunter. So I don't, I mean, I don't know what his experience outside of deer's is. And, I mean, he might have been just looking for his 15 minutes of fame as far as reporters go, so he might want to exaggerate on what he thinks, just for attention.
1: Interviews people give on the spot to newspapers are just, you know, them talking. There's only so much weight you can put into that.
0: Exactly. So investigators did entertain for a while that the Jamesons did stage their deaths, Um, and that was before they found the bodies. Um, They lived in a $300,000 Lakeview property with all the newest appliances. And as I said earlier, they also owned two timeshares in Mexico and several across the United States. However, both adults were on disability payments and they had been for years. Sherilyn and Bobby also had several lawsuits going on and this led police to believe that maybe they could have been scammers and made their money that way. This could also offer a motive of someone who would want them dead.
1: They had sued Bobby's dad because of a deal with that. Bobby would work for free in his business with the promise he'd get half of the proceeds from the sale of the business. So Bobby was suing him for that. The other instance that I found of them suing someone was that they after they pulled Madison out of school to homeschool her, they sued the school.
0: And I couldn't find anywhere that says why. Well, I I did read that um, she was missing her two front teeth. And I did Mm -hmm. read that it was at school that she fell off a swing set and broke her teeth. So I don't know if that's related to a lawsuit. That probably
1: was. Because the only people I personally know who've ever sued a school district was because the school wasn't providing what they felt were the legally required special education services to their children. But schools have been sued for injuries here in the US. A lot of times they're sports injuries. So if they feel that the teacher or the playground supervision was negligent, I bet that's why they were suing the school. Okay, we can put it we put our different research together
0: and we have figured it out. Yes, one thing solved. So I mean well let's go back to what they found in the truck. I mean it's a bit odd because in particular the GPS unit One of the theories is maybe the family went on some sort of hiking adventure. You know, they pulled over to the side of the road and decided to go for a hike to explore the area. There is a few reasons that I don't think that this is the case. For one, Bobby was in a lot of pain. And do you really think that it's possible that he would want to go on some sort of hike in this fairly rugged terrain?
1: Yeah, especially being found three miles away, which if you accommodate for, um, the incline of the hike, they probably were switchbacking, which is when you go a little ways, then you turn and go in the opposite direction, but up a little, and then you go back and forth up. And that's how you hike up a hill so that you're not trying to get up steep hills. But I mean, that makes it more like six miles of actual walking. With my last pregnancy, because of his positioning... I had severe back pain and I had to sit on a stool to cook dinner. I mean, I can't imagine going for a three to six mile hike in that condition. Yeah. So that it would really surprise me if he went on that walk willingly.
0: And from what I've read, they weren't actual hiking trails. They were just kind of gaps in the wooded in area. In the brush, yeah. 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 Secondly, um, would you really leave your dog behind if you were going on a long hike, locked up with no water And thirdly, are you really going to go to a hike for some distance when you know you have $32,000 in the car? And even if you ignore all that and still go, are you really going to go without your cell phone? I'm not convinced with all that.
1: They had two cell phones and a GPS unit. Because they brought that kind of stuff with them, I would expect them to take it on the hike with them. Why would you lock your keys in the car if you're going on a hike. I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all.
0: No. And there is some precedence with the cell phone, because we know they did stop and go for a walk prior to whatever happened to them happened, because the picture was taken. And they took that on the cell phone. And also, they went without their coats. I mean, go back to the photo of Madison. As you said, Charlie, she didn't look very well-dressed for that time of year. Her midriff was showing... I mean, would you really go for a hike without a map, without a GPS, without your cell phone... Without your, by all accounts, beloved family dog and without your jacket, it just doesn't make sense to me.
1: No, the hike doesn't make sense to me at all. The way they were found also lends to that, but we can talk about that in a minute.
0: We can get into theories now. Um, there is a heck of a lot of theories, so settle back and get ready. And they get increasingly strange.
1: Yeah, so get your tinfoil hat ready too.
0: So the first one is accidental death. This is the most simple explanation, but it really doesn't hold up. Bobby could hardly get around due to chronic back pain. So as we said, why would they go on a hike? Even if he was forced to, it would have been something that would have been very hard for him to do. And outside of that, if there really was an accidental death, then why would all three bodies be found in the exact same spot?
1: Right. If I knew I was going to starve to death, I would be comforting my child or holding my child. What are the odds that they would all die at the exact same time in a row. So, I mean, you could kind of say, well, maybe they all died in their sleep on the same night, all sleeping on their stomachs, facing the same way. But, I mean, that's a whole lot of maybes in there.
0: You know, I would think that if someone was injured and then maybe died, the other people would be able to carry that person for a bit of the way and then maybe leave them and then go look for help, you know, something along those lines but it seems strange to me that if it was an accident, the same accident occurred to all three of them at the exact same time in the exact same space.
1: That doesn't hold water to me at all.
0: It just, it's not like they were found under a bunch of rubble or under a tree. Where they were all pinned at once. Exactly, exactly. Not like a tree fell on them, excluding that maybe they were covered up and the soil washed away. They were found on the surface of the ground. I mean, I guess perhaps it could have been an animal attack of some sort.
1: But again, they were all laying exactly in the same position, face down, three in a row. And that just sounds like a grave to me. That doesn't sound at all like a natural position to die in.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't think an animal would then line them all up.
1: Unlikely. Maybe Bigfoot, but I'll save that for later.
0: Spoiler. (laughs) Okay. So another theory that gets thrown around quite a bit is, was this a potential murder-suicide? Is this something where Bobby took his family out for a walk and shot them and then shot himself? Apparently, Sherilyn did own a 22mm gun and that still hasn't been found. So there is some sort of theory that maybe because of her mental problems, Sherilyn maybe put this murder-suicide together. In one of her journal entries, she even stated that she didn't want her daughter raised in a foster care because her father was in jail for attempted murder and her mother was dead. So it's very strange that to find that journal entry and then the family goes missing and the gun is still missing.
1: I mean, she had been very depressed. Her sister had died two years earlier. Her son had recently moved out. Her behaviour was changing. She was becoming increasingly paranoid.
0: Now, the only thing that makes me lean away from murder suicide is the dog. I would think that if it was a murder-suicide, they wouldn't have brought the dog with them only to leave her die a long death of dehydration and starvation in the truck. I think that if it was a suicide, they would have either left the dog with someone else or killed her along with themselves.
1: Oh, I agree 100% with that. I I know it sounds odd to say that, oh, someone who is about to slaughter their own family wouldn't have neglected the dog, but it really does not fit to neglect the dog and just leave the dog in there hiking that far with a bad back how did she convince him to do it or how did he even do it why why even bother going to that extreme measure to hide your own bodies yeah the gun was missing but there's more explanations to that they may have had the gun on them and an attacker took it from them and that and the gun was not found it wasn't found anywhere near them now yeah water could have washed it away it might be in the underbrush But it was not found. No, no.
0: So, yeah, it's just another odd piece of the story, really.
1: There were empty pill bottles in the car, by the way. And so, you know, maybe they grabbed a whole bunch of pills and they all, it was more of a suicide pact than a murder suicide. But, I mean, if you have pill bottles, why are you carrying around loose pills? I think the empty pill bottles are probably because... They had just been taking them and not throwing away the pill bottles.
0: I guess there's always a theory that you could have that someone killed the other people with the gun and then threw the gun for whatever reason and then killed themselves some other way, like an overdose, and then stayed with the bodies, or they could have succumbed to the elements or something of that nature.
1: I'm really bafflingly stuck with them being so far away when he could not, by any account, have walked that far. I mean clearly somehow he got that far but I think the dog is still the biggest thing against the murder suicide.
0: Yeah, I mean they for all accounts they love the dog. Like, it was Madison's best friend. I mean they had no there was no toys or anything found in the car so it leads me to believe that Madison just played with the dog the whole trip.
1: Yeah, and murder suicides are not generally I mean, they're an aggressive act, but the person often feels like they're making the most merciful choice for everybody. So why would they make a merciful choice for everybody except their beloved dog? Again, I mean, I feel like I'm kind of talking in circles here, but the dog part just doesn't fit into a murder-suicide or a suicide pact.
0: So as you mentioned early, Charlie, the theory that the Jamesons were involved in drugs and drug dealings was a popular one. Several people interviewed by police said that Bobby and Sherilyn did crystal meth and that maybe Bobby's father also had his own drug issues, which caused him then to have a heart attack. I don't know, but their family and friends did flat out deny that Bobby and Sherilyn had an illicit drug problem.
1: They may not have even had a drug issue or ongoing drug sales However, under their financial strain with being behind in their mortgage, trying to buy this other property, it's possible that they decided to do one or two deals just to try to make some money really quickly. I don't know. If you have $34,000 in cash under your truck,
0: you're not really in that bad state. If they were in that much financial straits, they could have sold a timeshare or two. Right. They had other
1: things that they could have done to... Get back on track. And being behind in their mortgage, if they were buying property, if they were planning on buying it with cash or even taking out a small mortgage, it's possible that they were planning on walking away from their first mortgage and just having it foreclosed on. So they were behind in their mortgage, but they may not have actually cared. Again, that's just conjecture, but it's just another little piece.
0: And doing my research for this episode, I looked at a lot of photos of this family. And my opinion looking at them is that, look, Bobby does appear to be very, very slim. However, I don't know if he is quote-unquote meth skinny or wasting away, so to speak. And Sherilyn, I'm not seeing any photos of her that makes me think that she's a heavy meth user, so I don't know if I agree with that.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that if they were meth users,
0: they weren't terribly far into it. And once again, look, they were struggling with depression and heavy bouts of depression can lead a person to completely lose their appetite. The couple had been through a lot in the last couple of years, and that seemed to have snowballed in the months leading up to their disappearance. The weight loss could have just been a simple side effect of a heavy bout of depression or stress even. So what I'm saying is weight loss doesn't always come down to drug use. Exactly. So there's a theory out there that Sherilyn had a mental break and took her family into the mountains for whatever reason, maybe under the guise to look for land for sale where they died. Unfortunately, as I said, the family had a history of depression. On September 25, 2007, Sherilyn's sister, Marla, died from a reaction to a bee sting on her tongue. Sherilyn didn't take the death of her sister well, it's believed that Marla's death contributed to Sherilyn's severe depression. Then about a month before they went missing, Sherilyn was admitted into a psychiatric hospital for a suicide attempt. And, you know, a mental break can cause people to do things that they wouldn't normally consider. And I mean, as we said earlier, Sherilyn wasn't known to be the best at remembering to take her medications. And then let's not forget she may have been armed. So I guess we're going back to the possible murder-suicide plan. I mean, is there some likelihood that that could have happened that she wasn't thinking clearly, she wasn't thinking of the most humane way of ending it all because of her mental state? I
1: really feel that no matter what situation turns out was the right one, I don't think Sherilyn was in a good place, period. I don't think she was in a good place in her marriage, in her head, in her parenting, in her life. And whether or not that played a role in her death, I don't know. But, I mean, we'll keep coming back to it. It, She was not in a good spot.
0: No. So the next one is an interesting one. The Jamesons claim that Bobby's father was involved with prostitution, gangs, meth, and a Mexican drug cartel. And there is a wild theory that the family was murdered by that Mexican drug cartel on orders from Bobby's father. So less than six months before the Jameson family vanished, Sherilyn and Bobby claimed they were threatened with violence by Bobby's father. Now, this can get confusing. So the Bobby that went missing is Bobby Dale Jameson and Bobby's father is Bobby Dean Jameson. So for the sake of keeping it not confusing for us as well as you guys listening, I think we'll just keep on calling Bobby Bobby and Bobby's father Bobby's father.
1: Sounds good to me.
0: Okay, so Bobby went as far as filing a petition for a protective order against his father. In this petition, Bobby claimed his father threatened to kill him and his family on two occasions. One was November 2008, and the second was in late April 2009, and then we had the family going missing in October 2009. There was a civil suit between Bobby and his father, as I think you mentioned earlier, Charlie. It was for more than $10,000. dollars in this suit, Bobby claimed that his father enticed him to work for free at his gas station with the understanding that one day Bobby would have half interest in the station when he was older, and this civil suit was still going on when the Jamesons disappeared, which could offer a potential motive for the disappearance. But I mean, it's $10,000. Would you really kill your son and your grandchild, who by all accounts she was the sole inheritor of his father's estate. Would you really organize their murder for
1: $10,000? That's actually the probably the biggest point against this, except, I mean, there are little things, but the biggest thing against this is he, Bobby's father made the daughter his sole heir, and he was extremely ill at the time of their death. So he knew he was dying. Or, you know, didn't have a ton of time left. Why would he kill his only heir? I mean, had he changed his will and then did it? Then maybe. As far as the father making threats and being abusive, this was also coming during the time that Bobby's parents were separating after, what, like 40 years of marriage? Yes. And there was a pending divorce. Bobby's mom moved in with him. So did the father feel that Bobby was taking the mom's side? Was the dad already abusive and controlling? I mean, a controlling man who was rejected by his wife and son, I mean, he's going to be pissed, but I don't know that he's going to be murderous about it. And also, like I said, the Bobby's dad was really sick when this happened. According to his brother, so Bobby's uncle, the dad was either in the hospital or the nursing home. I read nursing home. When the Jamesons went missing. And he just died like two or three months after they went yep. missing. So, I mean, even, did he really order a hit on his family from his nursing home? And did he even have those connections? We're talking about he had a gas station that half of its worth was $10,000. So it doesn't really sound like somebody who has some major drug
0: connections. Again, it's all hearsay. I did read that apparently he did have connections in terms of criminal activity, I don't know if it was actual drug cartel per se. But I mean, I guess there's always a chance that he might have known the type of people that could do something to this nature. But again, it's all hearsay. We don't know the actual facts. And
1: he would have also had to know that his son, who was currently suing him and not, I'm, I'm assuming not talking to him because he tried to get a restraining order, was going to be on that property on that day. He would have had to have had him followed, I guess. I mean, I don't, I can't even imagine what he would have had to been coordinating from his nursing
0: home to make this happen. And that's something else that strikes me a bit odd is they would have had to be followed. I mean, I would think that if this was indeed a hit, wouldn't you notice that you're being followed when you're driving out to that particular area? It's not like you're in the city with lots of other vehicles around. This would have been quite isolated and the Jamesons were likely the only other vehicle on the road. So, I mean, wouldn't they have noticed they were followed you know being a bit scared and rang the police
1: oh yeah if they're taking roads that go to properties that have no houses no utilities no anything and they saw someone following them i mean they would have known something was wrong
0: exactly don't get out of the car just keep on driving right along those lines people think that they also may have bumped into something out there that they weren't supposed to see I think there is some potential for that to be consideration as well.
1: Yeah, it kind of goes back and forth. Some people are like, oh, there's easier places to do drug deals. And then other people are like, well, this is really remote. There is no better place to do a drug deal. I mean, it's just, it's possible. And it's one of those things we'll just never know unless someone confesses. So if you're out there, feel free to confess. But not to us. Not to
0: us. Call the police. (laughs) (laughs) So... The next theory we have was, is related to the large sum of money under the seat and was this a robbery gone wrong? So let's just say for whatever reason um, they went out there to look at a land to pay the deposit and that's why the money was under the seat. I think that the fact that the dog was left at the truck along with their other belongings, especially their cell phones and jackets, it indicates to me that they got out of the truck to meet up with someone And they were only planning on being out of the car for a short while. Like they were getting out of the truck to shake the hands of the people or person they were meeting. And then they were getting back into the truck to follow after them. And maybe they left the money in the truck. So whoever they were planning to meet up, they didn't want them to know that they had the money with them. However, I would think that if this was the case, whoever they were supposed to meet with, they would have spoken up by now or when the Jamesons didn't show up, I would imagine that they would have went looking for them and found the truck earlier than what it was.
1: Yeah, and I'm also going to assume that if they found it online, I read Craigslist. The way you contact people on Craigslist a lot is through email that goes through Craigslist. Yeah. The police also, I am sure, pulled their phone records and didn't find any phone calls to the owner of the property. And I had read that the property was owned by the oil company or it was abandoned by the oil There was some... It wasn't like it was owned by a single person. I mean, if it was a robbery, maybe, that they got out and the person was had lured them there to rob them, if it went wrong, he may have not wanted to touch the car very much after that and just, like, took the briefcase if they were holding it. But again, did he really carry the bodies three miles into the woods? I mean, again... Every time I try to walk through it logically, I get stuck on them walking for three miles or being
0: carried for three miles. That makes sense to me because I was always thinking, you know, how was it a robbery gone wrong because the wallets were in the car and there was rumours that the family liked carrying around about $1,000 in their wallets. That's just what they did. So maybe they did, maybe someone lured them there, pretended they owned the land, lured them out there, killed them either by accident or deliberately then not carry them the three miles, but put them in a car and then drive them away and then return them when they thought the heat had died down.
1: Yeah, if we're going to go with the they weren't found on the search because they weren't there at the time, then, I mean, that's a valid, a valid theory. I just, this, this case is so baffling that I have such a hard time. I feel like I talk in circles on every theory because none of them
0: fit perfectly. And this makes me think, and I'm just thinking aloud here, could this possibly have been a hunting accident? October is leading into hunting season and maybe someone was just getting a jump start and maybe they had been drinking or maybe they were target shooting and let's just say one of the Jamesons got shot. Is it possible this hunter or group of hunters then wanted to cover it up so they killed the other two and then hid the bodies?
1: Hunting accidents are one thing, but if you accidentally shoot somebody while you're poaching, that's a big problem legally. So, you know, if you were a hunter and you accidentally shot somebody, it's very common for a hunter to go, Oh my gosh, I shot somebody, call 911. But if they're there hunting illegally and they shoot someone, that might not be their first thought.
0: And they were drinking, they could have been and drinking, they were drinking or on drugs. If it's a heavy meth area, you maybe you're not thinking rationally. So here's another different theory, the townspeople. As I mentioned before, Sherilyn liked to let people think she was a witch. She has an interest in witches, an interest she shared with her friend Nikki. And Nikki and Sherilyn had the the matching witches' bibles that they liked to have on clear display in their homes. So is it a potential that someone from the neighbourhood that thought Sherilyn really was a witch and that she was buying this sort of stuff for, you know, whatever witch ceremony or whatever or maybe a group of townspeople they got together to you know do something about it.
1: Yeah I saw another theory that it was the people up on the mountain not wanting outsiders to come in and I just have to say kind of a knee-jerk bristle reaction to the townspeople theory because I mean it's kind of painting these people as backward society rejecting whack jobs I mean, they're either they're choosing to live in this rural area. If it, we're talking about the people on the mountain, if we're talking about the people where they lived in Eufala, it's kind of painting them as religious nut jobs who are afraid of people who are different. The amount of stereotyping I've seen in threads discussing the people of Eufala and the Red Oak area really, really turns me off. The day before the disappearance, they were in that vague area. And they got turned around and someone actually gave them directions and talked to them about what it's like to live in the area and how to make it work. Some of the people had generators, some didn't even have indoor plumbing. I mean, this guy doesn't sound terribly afraid of outsiders if he's giving them tips. Exactly. I kind of bristle at the threads on the townspeople. I lived in Oklahoma. There are a lot of really nice people in Oklahoma who are not backwards hillbillies.
0: We love you, Oklahoma. (laughs) Okay, so the next one is that Sherilyn's mother, Connie Coquitin, believes that the family was killed by members of a violent cult. And there may be some fact in this allegation. According to a local newspaper out of Oklahoma, there is known to be several cults operating out of that particular part. And some of these cults were, again, quote-unquote, extreme. The newspaper does not go into detail of what they mean by extreme, I don't know if Connie was referencing a particular cult that she knew or just rehashing of what she believed happened in the area. And Connie would also go on later to say that an unknown cult had targeted Sherilyn and had put a hit out on her. She never elaborated which cult was targeting Sherilyn or why they were targeting her. So it's hard to make a concrete conclusion on this. It's just another strange piece to the puzzle.
1: We talked in the John Juca episode about his mom kind of really investigating and being a pretty tough woman. Sherilyn's friend Nikki sounds similar. She's been pretty much investigating this on her own. She's gotten some leads that have come into her. And, you know, anyone can email anybody anonymously. And she's looked into some of these and have ruled out some of them. But she did say there was a group that she got emailed about saying... This is where she was on the hit list. But she looked
0: into it and said it wasn't true. The United White Knights, apparently, they contacted Nikki about it. Apparently, they had her on the hit list.
1: The United White Knights, from what I understand, is actually part of the KKK, not to give away our next topic. But another thing, there was a car in the area where they were found had satanic writing on it, like graffiti, And someone spray-painted God Loves You over
0: it. Apparently that was Sherilyn that did that.
1: Yes, it's believed that it was Sherilyn and that maybe a satanic cult found out and they would have killed her for it. But I'm going to say spray-painting satanic imagery kind of just screams bored teenager to me.
0: Exactly. So we can get into that now. Another theory along these lines was that white supremacists were involved before they disappeared, Bobby had a man by the name of Kenneth Bellows staying in one of the rooms of the house, and he was there to help out and work with the family as a handyman. One day, after visiting with Sherilyn and discussing her Native American her- heritage that she apparently had, um, an argument broke out between Sherilyn and Kenneth. Kenneth said that he was a white supremacist and he was a part of the KKK and that he wanted to kill her and she shouldn't even be alive. So after this, Sherilyn was obviously scared, so she grabs Madison and gets one of Bobby's guns and shoots at his feet, him to leave the property. So, I mean, he would have been the perfect suspect, but after he was checked out by the FBI, he was ruled out because he was already in jail at the time that they disappeared. So I guess it doesn't mean that he couldn't have had someone else do it for him, but the FBI doesn't seem, seem to think so white
1: supremacist groups there are ones that are organized like the kkk but not all of them are big organized hood wearing plotters some of them are just jerks who are white supremacists who say this is i'm a white supremacist i get a newsletter every month about it they're not really that organized i didn't see anything that connected him to any
0: group and i think As far as our friend Kenneth goes, I think he was one of those jerks that, like, to let his mouth run, he didn't mean anything by it, besides trying to scare Sherilyn, really. Right. And she said to
1: Bobby that she was uncomfortable with him even before this, when Bobby wasn't there. So he kind of seems like a jerk. He was, he enjoyed kind of riling her up and making her uncomfortable, so... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it could be KKK, but I'd be more likely to believe this if they appeared to be not white.
0: So that's the more reasonable theories done. So we're going to go down the rabbit hole a bit now. Into the fun ones. Exactly. So the next theory is that the Jameson's death was caused by ghosts or demons. Before they disappeared, Bobby Jameson had approached his pastor, Gary Brandon, to discuss what he would call spiritual warfare that they claimed were taking place in the house. Before they disappeared, Sherilyn claimed that there were three to four spirits living with them in the house, including children named Michael and Emily. Apparently, Madison liked to talk to Emily, and she was an angel with wings. The ghost family apparently didn't bother Sherilyn or Madison, but it did upset Bobby, he thought they were demons, and he asked Brother Brandon if there were special bullets and a satanic Bible he could use to get rid of them. Sherilyn told Brother Brandon that she wasn't afraid because apparently she had this special gift that could cast out evil demons. And also, Bobby also thought that he could see two to four spirits on the roof from time to time, and he wanted the special bullets to take them out.
1: Uh, let's see, my son is 17 now. So about 14 years ago, we had a giant named Igor living in our house and he flew on a dragon. And it was pretty awesome. But I realized at some point that this was my child's imaginary friend. And I did not imagine that this was some demon or ghost. So Madison seeing Emily or playing with an Emily just kind of sounds like an imaginary friend to me. But I I will kind of put this in a check in the meth use box because meth psychosis can cause hallucinations. However, so can bipolar disorder. Now that doesn't explain why Bobby also saw these, but I read that as many as two thirds of those diagnosed with bipolar will experience at least one hallucination. But since they were both experiencing these, this does kind of sound like a drug psychosis.
0: I mean, this could have been some sort of mass delusion situation, at least between the parents, that they believe that there was some sort of spiritual warfare and ghosts around the house. And that might have been the major prompt for them to look for another place in the woods to escape these ghost family. Right. And they just keep getting stranger. The next is the mass disappearance of those who come across the 35th degree latitude, the line of tragedy
1: yes so this 35th degree of latitude so those who slept through a geography class or just don't remember latitude lines run which is May. <laughs> they run parallel to the equator the 35th parallel we're discussing is north it cuts through tibet crete and it's the southern border of tennessee in the united states it's along the 35th degree latitude line that a whole bunch of brutal murders have occurred and even disappearances so it's kind of like an occult tragedy ley line. This theory is linked with the occultist and cabalist named Solog. So a regular example that you'll see in pretty much every article about this is the case of Andrea Yates, the Houston area woman who suffered from postpartum depression and psychosis. In 2001, she murdered all five of her children by drowning them in the bathtub. This case was huge in the United States. Another famous murder that was along this line and also in Oklahoma shortly before the Jameson's disappearance was Pastor Carol Daniels. Pastor Daniels was brutally murdered. I mean, horrific. Her body was found nude and mutilated on the church
0: altar, like in front of it, and it was staged in a crucifix position. Some of the the detectives that were on the scene of this crime said it was the most horrific crime scene that they had ever seen.
1: I mean, I can't even, just reading the non-graphic version that I just gave you guys is enough for me. While, you know, we might want to say, oh, look, satanic cult, whatever, it just lets note, um, Carol Daniels was a person of color and she led a very small congregation and there is some indications this may have been racially motivated from what i read but again 35th degree line of latitude that's what we're focusing on also oklahoma city the alfred p murrah federal building that timothy mcveigh bombed and it killed 168 people injured nearly 700 others i mean again a huge story in the u.s there was a daycare in the building it was absolutely terrible but this isn't just a U.S.-based phenomenon. There's school stabbings in Osaka, Japan are linked to this, as well as the 2007 disco bombing in Tel Aviv. After I started researching this, I sent Ali a message. There was just a recent attack in Japan that was also, like, smack on this line. There's another case near where the Jamesons went missing. Tommy Raymond Step. He disappeared after a trip to Eufaula Lake in 2013. Three months later, his truck was found about an hour west of Eufaula. It was locked with his wallet and some cash inside, so that sounds kind of similar. The only things missing here were Tommy and his cell phone, but his cell phone had been off the entire three months. It There's no evidence of it anywhere. So again, right along that 35th parallel line, Where the Jamesons lived, where they went missing from, all the places Tommy had been seen the weekend he went missing, where his truck was found, all of those are almost smack on that 35th parallel line. However, I want to point something out. Those who are good at geography are probably like, wait a second, how is Oklahoma City and Houston at the 35th parallel line? Well, they're not. Andrea Yates actually lived at the 29th parallel line. So let's round it to the 30th. So this theory apparently has plus or minus five degrees. So if we go five degrees to the south and include Houston, we have to go five degrees to the north to the 40th degree. Do you want to know what city is like right at the 39th parallel? Tell me. Kansas City.
0: Oh, watch out.
1: Yeah, I know. I need to discount this theory just for my own safety and peace of mind because I am in imminent danger now.
0: That's ogre that rides the dragon. He's coming for you. <laughs> And you can't have any strange theory list in the woods without including the greatest of them all, Bigfoot. David Paulides is a investigative journalist who is known for writing about mysterious disappearances in state parks and urban areas. He has this book called Missing 411, where he mentions the Jameson family, along with many others. And... Even though he doesn't right outstate it, he believes that these disappearances could be the work of Bigfoot. What he does allude to is that something travels by creek and stream beds that somehow draws people out into the woods alone. He also alludes to that he thinks the FBI and other powers that be know what's going on, but they won't share it because they don't want anyone to know because then they won't go to the national parks.
1: I've seen an interesting thing. One of the things on this theory is that a key sign of a Bigfoot attack is that no clothes are found or they are found folded nearby. And I have to say, if Bigfoot folds laundry, then he can take any of my kids anytime he wants and just leave me their clothes folded. That would be amazing.
0: I did not know that.
1: You should not send me these theories because I spend way too much... You know I don't sleep much already, so I spend way too much time at one in the morning reading about Bigfoot. I don't really know a lot about Bigfoot theories, and so this was kind of new to me. I actually see people mention the missing 411 books all the time, and I thought they were, I don't know, like investigation discoveries disappeared, but just little stories about people who disappear, but apparently they have a lot to do with um, paranormal or cryptozoology explanations to missing people. I don't know, I've not read them, I, I don't, I mean, it's Bigfoot. What can you say? Yeah, what can you say about Bigfoot? Show me some evidence and we'll talk. But until then, I guess let's move on to the next theory. Speaking of
0: evidence. Paulides, along with others, also alludes to that these disappearances could be the result of alien abductions. Now, there has been reports of some strange lights around the Sand Boys Mountains Alien abductions could explain how the family weren't found during the initial search efforts. But I mean, if they were abducted by aliens, why did they bring the remains back? It doesn't make sense to me.
1: Why didn't they take the dog? I think a dog would be interesting to aliens. It's another life form. But they left the dog behind. Yeah, I, alien abduction, another one. Show me the evidence and we'll have a conversation about it
0: i mean it could explain why the money was left behind the aliens obviously weren't interested in the thirty two thousand dollars
1: right and if they have the technology to get here and abduct people and return them they probably don't really care about our cell phone technology either
0: exactly so i guess along the same lines as this that um, david paulides does talk about it did storm within days of the jameson's disappearance And that wiped out any tracks or any scent that the dogs could pick up. And he cites the fact that when people go missing, a storm will often come up and hamper searches, almost if the storm came through on purpose.
1: I've lived in Oklahoma. It storms a lot. I'd be more impressed if a storm didn't hit (laughs) Oklahoma within
0: days of their disappearance. Okay, so our last theory is dimensional travel. And yes, this was definitely mentioned as a possibility. When some people disappear, it's almost like they walked into thin air. There are those that think that random dimensional portholes open up all over the place and some people walk into them and experience another time or another place, and then they find themselves back in their own time. Sometimes someone go, they go into a portal and they don't come back out or something else comes out in their place. So if the Jamesons did walk into a porthole, maybe something violent came out after them or the, the trip itself killed them. I'm not really sure. Again,
1: I, I don't have a lot of experience with dimensional time travel. I I am not a really great person for these theories and I think it's, I I lack a certain imagination. <laughs> My kids will have these, want to have these long conversations with me theorizing if anything on Doctor Who could actually have happened. and you know i really don't know i i lack the imagination necessary for these theories i think
0: that's just what it comes down to look i'm a big believer of ghosts and sort of that sort of thing however i mean going backwards to that theory i would think if ghosts or demons were involved in the disappearance it would have happened at the house not a secondary location that's why i even though i believe in ghosts i can't count that as a possible theory
1: also if I was to believe that ghosts were involved I would believe that Bobby, Sherilyn and Madison would have similar experiences with the ghosts so if the ghosts were aggressive towards one person for whatever reason and he thought they were demons I don't know why the ghosts would also have some kind of why Sherilyn and Madison would have a different experience with them if they were demons I don't know. Have
0: you seen paranormal activity?
1: no well (laughs) you have to (laughs) again i don't know a whole lot about ghosts i don't even know if i believe in ghosts i do think about ghosts more than bigfoot though okay i just feel that because all the three of them had varying experiences with the same paranormal event that i kind of find it a little bit harder to believe that it was real
0: okay so that sort of finishes up as far as the theories go So what do you think about this mystery? What do you think happened?
1: Okay, so I have zero most likely theories here. (laughs) The three miles to walk on their own or with someone forcing Bobby seems big to me because it wasn't a three-mile walk. It would have been a six to seven-mile walk. The conditions transporting them also make it unlikely, unless we're talking maybe there was a gang of people on ATVs. I do have a hard time entertaining supernatural explanations without significant proof, as I've pointed out. Yeah. So I lean towards some type of murder, but I really don't. I I just don't know.
0: Yeah, I don't know either. Look, for me, looking at this whole case, the big question now is, how did they die? And look, the coroner didn't help with that. They couldn't come to any conclusion, which is unfortunate because in these cases, usually the investigators... They kind of hold out to the bodies are found and then that gives them the next step of their investigation. But it didn't help at all here. So again, the case has just gone cold. If the family was murdered by someone, I think the possibility that the murderer is going to get away with it, it's extremely high in my opinion right now.
1: I agree. I think this case is unusual because there is so much evidence that points to nothing. Between the money and what was left in the car and where they were found and the condition of the bodies and what they had been, all these writings. One thing we didn't mention is in the truck, one of the letters that Sherilyn had written was like, I mean, 11 pages or longer, hateful letter to her husband. Now, again, due to the state of the truck, who knows how long it had been in there? Had she given it to him that day? And that's why they were having the silent treatment they weren't, they weren't in a good place. There were signs that maybe they were using drugs, but they couldn't find signs of the actual drugs. I don't know. I think they almost have too much evidence, which is obscuring what's going on.
0: And I mean, I did read that Nikki said that that was a way of Sherilyn dealing with what was on her mind. She would just write it out. So she might have been in a certain mindset and wrote something and then she got it out of her system and then she didn't really mean it. So as you said, there was no date on it. We don't know. She could have wrote it a year before. The car was a mess. Who knows?
1: And she may have written it and not intended for him to ever see it exactly. and he found it.
0: Exactly. It's not like it's a, you know, a Laurie Erica rough thing here where the there were letters sealed to then read in a certain circumstance. It wasn't. Right. It was just
1: a bunch of pieces of paper. But the entirety of the letter has not been released. So we're going on what the sheriff has said that it contained was just really hateful things and i mean the sheriff is fully credible it seems like he has worked incredibly hard on this case he's no longer on the case but he still does interviews about it yes i i feel like you know they talk about cops having that case that they carry with them i think this might be his that he just really is not going to get over
0: yes so I think this is going to be one of those mysteries that haunts people for a very long time. It's just strange to me because usually once the bodies are found, you're able to let go of some of the case. But in this story, finding the remains actually brings up more questions and actually adds to the more uncertainty What of what is already an extremely uncertain case. And ultimately, it's very tragic that this little girl had to be in the middle of all this if it was indeed something going on between a parents and it'd be even more tragic if they were just looking at giving their life a fresh start in a new place and they bumped into something bad out there. I really don't know but it's a heartbreaker on any front.
1: It is the mothers of both of the parents and Sherilyn's friend have given interviews and every single one breaks my heart.
0: Yeah anything else you want to add Charlie?
1: No, I think um,
0: it took us a while, but we covered pretty much everything. We got there. So everyone, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or any of your other favorite podcast apps. I think we're on basically all of them at this stage. We should be. And if we're not, email us and we'll find out how to get on there. Exactly. You can also listen and comment on our website, which is insightpod.com. We're on Facebook at insightpod. We're on Twitter at InsightfulPod as well, if you wish to tweet Charlie. And I'm on Instagram at InsightPod. Please email your show suggestions or any general comments and ideas to insightfulpod at gmail.com. And if you like the show and wish to donate, we're on Patreon. All donations go toward making the show bigger and better. And we currently have a very cool premium episode for patrons on there so head over to patreon patreon.com forward slash insight pod so we are now weekly guys so head back next monday for another episode thanks everyone bye guys